Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah and welcome to the program Tawheed and the Creation covering the book The Big Bang, The Amazing Human Body authored by Bidassali Mani. Bidassali, assalamu alaikum and welcome. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh, Fasikh. It's a great pleasure for me to be here. Alhamdulillah. In previous programs, we looked at various external concepts relating to the creation of the universe, including what scientists say about it, and we've also looked at certain Quranic verses which we understand explains this phenomena in detail. Tonight, as we delve further, it's worth noting that when we spoke about the result of the Big Bang in an earlier program, we referred to subatomic particles which were sent forth, which ultimately resulted in the production of all matter in the universe. Now, it's amazing how something so minute could be used to produce all that we see today. Alhamdulillah. Yes, Fasih, um, one is tempted to go back <laughs> because this topic is, um, can be very technical and sometimes very complicated. So I just want to remind the listeners that everything in the material world came from a point where there was absolutely nothing before that and when we say nothing we mean nothing in the material world um, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala instructs us to believe in the ghaib and the unseen so when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created the world Allah merely said kun the instruction for something to, to come into existence um, and it came into existence from a very tiny, tiny, tiny microscopic piece of energy, but it was intensely dense and extremely, extremely hot. Uh, we've covered that, so I'm not going to go into a lot of detail except to say that that was the point when time started. Before that, there was no time. Now, how did space come into existence? And when we say space, we are not only talking about space. Everything else in the entire creation came from that one single point of energy that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created at the beginning of time. Now, what happened because this spark of energy was so extremely hot, trillions upon trillions of degrees Celsius. Scientists have assisted us to say that what happened actually was that because of the intense heat of this spark of energy, the moment it came into, into existence, it immediately um, exploded into tiny, tiny, tiny bits of matter, subatomic matter. We must remember at that time there was nothing else. There was only this energy and the first thing that happened thereafter was the appearance of these tiny subatomic pieces of matter. What happened also was that the matter 
came in two forms. It came in the form of matter and the opposite of matter, which is called antimatter. And when these two opposites clashed, it exploded into energy again. And because the temperature was so high, at that point still, trillions of degrees, it immediately changed back into these tiny bits of matter. And when we say matter, we mean material, um, the material that the universe is made up of. So this back and forth change from energy to matter, and then back into energy, and energy into matter caused the temperature to drop. And as the temperature dropped, so the space expanded within which these things existed. And that was actually the beginning and, and, uh, of, of the formation of space. Before that, there was no space. Because time and space came into existence after the Big Bang, can we then say that because these are created elements, uh, they cannot then be applied to Allah as Allah is free and independent from what Allah has created? Yes, certainly um, we can say that. But I think it's important to remember that time and space, if it did not exist, it had a beginning. And Allah caused those things to come into existence. So Allah is the creator of time and space. So time and space must always, in whatever form we come across time, uh, when the question is when, is asked or where, then those, the, the when refers to time, the where refers to space, can never be applied to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And it is important for us to remember and remind ourselves what happened. So now we, we, we have this point in the history of the universe where there was nothing else except these minuscule, tiny microscopic pieces of dust-like uh, particles in the air, subatomic particles. They were flying around at the speed of light, crashing into one another and exploding into dazzling uh, radiation. Back and forth this went, and it was a very chaotic period in the, in the, 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 the history of the universe. So we have that. And what the Quran speaks about, the Quran in, 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 in verse 41, 11, and I quote, says, Then he, capital he, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, turned to the heaven while it was all smoke. He said to the heaven and the earth, Come into being willingly or unwillingly. They said, Here we come into being in willing obeisance. Now, subhanallah, how scientists only found these things out yesterday. The Quran spoke about how Allah created everything that this universe is made up of was originally as the Quran refers to it, smoke. That's the way the, 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 the uh, uh, 
people who translated the Quran um, said it was smoke but we could easily understand it was a cloud of dust and minute particles a haze a mist uh, scientists refer, refer to this as the cosmic haze or the cosmic soup from which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created everything the voice of Bidasali Mani, we are exploring the book The Big Bang, The Amazing Human Body, authored by Bidasali. Time for a break, and uh, when we return, we will continue. <laughs> Welcome back to the program entitled Tawheed and the Creation as we explore the book The Big Bang, The Amazing Human Body, authored by Buddha Salimani. Tonight we focus on the formation of space. Now before the break, Buddha Salim mentioned that modern science in the 21st century is only now able to make these discoveries that were explained in great detail in the Quran 1400 years ago. Yeah, so... One of the questions that will strengthen our Tawheed immensely is understanding that space is a creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and how space can never apply to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Why do we say space and time never applies to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? The short quick answer is of course that Allah is the creator of time and space so time and space can therefore not apply that's the quick answer but now logically let's just look at this firstly what is space what do we say is space space is an area that we define by certain dimensions um, like the length the breadth the depth the height, the form, the shape, all of those things, if we talk about space, it must have those di dimensions. Now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not like anything, anything whatsoever that has been created. So if space has been created, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala cannot be described with the way we describe creation. And in this instance, we're talking about space. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala cannot have the dimensions of a front, a back, a top, bottom, inside or outside. And as the, uh, some of the scholars refer to, to, to um, what we cannot use to describe Allah, Allah cannot be described with size, direction or shape. So if we look at this, then it's almost impossible for us as human beings because we're so tied up in space. How can you, how can you even imagine something that doesn't have a front or a back or a shape or a size or a direction uh, and doesn't fit into space? It's above space. It's beyond space. It's beyond time. Our minds have been designed by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala where we cannot go beyond looking at that now if 
if the matter stopped there, then it would have been a bit unfair. Allah wanted us to know Allah, but yet Allah created our minds where we can only think in so far as things are linked to time and space. And the great mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is expressed um, through creating us with hearts. Hearts, spiritual hearts. The piece of flesh that's uh, 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 throbbing away uh, while we're alive is the one aspect of the heart and it plays an important part and maybe if we ever get to that we'll talk a bit about the miracles of the human heart, the piece of flesh. But there's the other part of the heart and that is the spiritual heart. And the spiritual heart Allah has given the ability to actually move into the dimension of the ghayb of the unseen. A dimension that is not linked to time and space. Because time and space are linked to the material world and the ghayb doesn't uh, get affected by these laws of the material world. And we have something of that within ourselves called our spiritual hearts. So subhanallah, I mean, Allah has been so merciful and we obviously now have to understand uh, and develop the ability of wanting to develop our spiritual hearts so that we can experience the ghaib in the way that we are supposed to. I'd like to take a quick detour, if I may, and reflect on the purpose of this journey towards understanding. Can we say that it's not about picking up facts, but that the intention should be to draw closer to Allah through the pursuit of this type of knowledge? Yeah. <laughs> Shukran for, 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 for that question, <clears throat> because it brings us back to the basics of Islam. We know the arkans of Islam, the five arkans, not going to uh, mention them, we all know them. But there's also the arkans of Iman, which has a lot to do with the ghaib, the unseen, the afterlife, Jannah and Jahannam, Malaika, things that's not visible to the eye. And this kind of knowledge should strengthen the need and the desire for us to develop our hearts so that we can actually better understand and develop our Iman. We all ask for Iman, but what we should practically do is to actually develop the spiritual components so that we can understand um, the issues of the Ghaib and understanding issues of the Ghaib we get to know and understand Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also better because it is beyond the human world and the human laws. Now one of the questions, <clears throat> and I must be honest, it's a question that I ask myself, um, where is Allah? Is Allah inside of us or are we inside of Allah? Is Allah everywhere? Um, now the moment you start asking these questions, then it becomes difficult to answer. Uh, but one of the things that makes it easy for us 
if Allah is the creator of space, and we said earlier that the question of where does not apply to Allah, because Allah is beyond space. So we cannot ask where is Allah. We say we believe in the ghaib, but we ask where is Allah. But we also know that Allah is the creator of space. So actually it is not a question that should even be asked of Allah. Because where refers to place or space or an area. And Allah is beyond that. Allah is not like anything. Now, continuing with the discussion around space and looking at how we describe standing in front of Allah and also talking about Allah being closer to us than our jugular vein. How should we understand this? Well, if you say Allah is not, um, Allah is not here on, on earth. Is Allah here on earth? If, if somebody asks you, is Allah here on earth? If Allah is not here on earth, then is that not a weakness that there's a place where Allah is not? You could ask a question like that. But on the other hand, if we say Allah is here on earth, earth is a material creation, which means that we are indirectly asking, is Allah inside creation? And that is a different question. Is Allah then inside creation? So if Allah is inside creation, it would mean that that which Allah has created, Allah is within that. And I know it becomes a bit difficult to understand. But the thing to remember here is that Allah doesn't take a material form. A material form has shape. It has all those dimensions of space that we've mentioned, top, bottom, front, inside, outside, all of those things. Allah cannot be described like that. Allah is everywhere. There's no place where Allah is not. But Allah is not present in a material form. Allah's presence, Allah's essence is felt and experienced rather than being materially present. And I think that is so important to reflect on. Uh, since we think in dimensions, uh, we sometimes forget that Allah subhanahu wa exists out of that which affects Allah's creation, uh, which includes the natural laws governing creation. Yes. Um, now, you, you, you can say then, <clears throat> or, or, or one could answer the question, um, If creation was inside Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, because the question can be uh, then if creation is not inside Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then where is creation? That is where we make the mistake. We are now taking the material world and the spiritual world and we're putting together questions that apply to the one but which cannot apply to the other. But even if we were to take the question, if creation was inside Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, let's say that we're going to test that understanding now. If creation was inside Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, as creation changes, it would therefore mean that Allah changes. If they form part of Allah, 
then it would mean that the time when they were not born, then there was something that was lacking. Allah wasn't complete yet because that thing still had to come for Allah to be what Allah is. Now, if Allah is completely perfect and nothing can be added or subtracted to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, His perfection is absolutely perfect, then the fact that we say that creation could be in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in fact cancels out that perfection. It, it competes. It, it nullifies that. So creation cannot be in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because it would that mean that everything that we find in creation would be part of Allah. You could even then go so far as to say that becomes Allah. And there are people who believe like that. There are people who believe that we are in fact Allah um, in our own way uh, and form part of everything that Allah is composed of. So they believe that what Allah has created has been created within the essence of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and therefore Allah is made up of everything like that. But that would mean that you would have Allah that would change this a part that would die, that would, would be things that would be born, the, the size would change. Uh, at, at, at such a it's such a nonsensical concept if we're talking about the perfect creator that needs nothing, that's utterly perfect, um, to say that creation could be inside Allah. But then you have the opposite of that, where people say, so even if creation isn't inside Allah, is Allah inside creation? Now the moment you say, uh, uh, Allah is inside of creation, what happens if creation changes? So creation dies, what then happens? Uh, so even that concept of creation being having a beginning, having an end and change in between, that Allah doesn't change. Allah is forever the way Allah was, right at the beginning and without a beginning, Allah was as He was always. And nothing ever changes about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the whole concept of saying Allah is in creation or creation is in Allah is cancelled out by the fact of Allah's perfection and inability to change in whatever way. You are listening to the program Tawheed and the Creation, exploring the book The Big Bang, The Amazing Human Body, authored by Buddha Salimani. We will be back right after this. <laughs> Welcome back to the program, Tawheed and the Creation, exploring the book, The Big Bang, The Amazing Human Body. Now, before the break, we spoke about how Allah is not affected by Allah's creation. How do we begin to understand, with the limitations of the human intellect, this concept? Yeah, it's not, it's, well, the first thing we must, we must, we must remember is that 
if you look at space, and space doesn't apply to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the one thing that jumps out of that understanding, if we accept that, then Allah cannot be described with any body parts. Allah doesn't have a hand or a foot or a face. I heard one of the people respond in a way to the question by giving this kind of answer. And if you listen to it, it might even sound okay. And one can be taken away. He said, Allah says Allah has a hand. This was his response. If Allah says he has a hand, then he has a hand, but it's a hand of Allah. It's not a hand that looks like our hand. It's a divine hand. If Allah says Allah has a face, Allah says he has a face, and therefore Allah has a face, but not in the, uh, uh, the type of face that we will understand or know or be able to des describe. Now, as nice as that might sound, that goes against the grain of our Tawheed. And why we say that is that <clears throat> the moment we say a hand, then the hand forms part of the rest of the body. So it means Allah is composed of different organs and limbs in whatever way, say, this person is wanting to describe Allah. Which means that if you have a hand, a hand has to exist in space, to be a hand. In fact, it's the fact that you are in space that gives your, the shape to your hand. If there was no space, there would be no form. And those things tells us that if Allah is the creator of space, space doesn't apply to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So it's impossible for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to be composed of parts. Allah is not made up of different parts like anything else in creation. Allah is Allah and Allah is one. There is no separation of anything that is linked to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now, the problem that could arise is Allah seemed to be a being that is very difficult to get to know. Yet, the scholars tell us if we want to interpret the deeper meaning of why we have been created to make ibadah, they say that the deeper understanding of making ibadah is not just making salah and dhikr, but it's actually to embark on a path to get to know Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Getting to know Allah. But if Allah is beyond time and space, then it sounds almost impossible to get to know Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now one of the ways that we are advised by these scholars who say, give us the second uh, interpretation of ibadah, to know Allah, we must embark on the process of purifying our hearts. Now, how do you purify your heart? Uh, it's a subject on its own and in some of the other stuff that I've written, we talk about tazkiyah, the purification of the heart. But in broad general terms, 
It is to cut your heart off from things that's linked to the dunya and to fight the nafs and the shaitan that tries to keep you attached to everything that has to do with the dunya. Their purpose is for you to focus on the dunya and things related to the dunya because if you do that, then you don't make the time to focus on the akhirah and to the creator of everything in the universe. So the purification of the heart gives you the ability to experience Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in a way that's beyond time and space. It gives you the ability, but Allah will only give you so much understanding and knowledge to get to know Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as the readiness of your, of your heart. So if your heart has not been prepared to receive more, it will only get the capacity to which is it's able to, to, to deal with this. And maybe just to last, to, to, to say the last thing on this, and that is that <clears throat> the more attached we become to the dunya, and when we say dunya, we mean everything that's linked to the dunya, your car, your house, your job, your children, your family, your money, and everything. The more attached you become to those things, the denser and the greater the veils around your heart, which means your ability to enter the ghayb and understanding Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is actually limited by how dense and how dark these veils are. And it will prevent you from making progress. So one of the key things I think we have to understand how big a danger is it is to become so attached to the dunya like so many of us are. But Sali, how do we understand what we might describe as the essence of Allah when we know that Allah is unlike Allah's creation? Does the Quran touch on this? We, as human beings, if we think of anything, we try and create an image in our mind of that something. When we talk about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it doesn't matter what image we have, it doesn't matter what picture we have in our mind, it doesn't matter how our imagination takes us along a path, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is unlike anything that we can imagine, unlike any picture, because Allah is not created, only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala himself can know his essence. And in fact, the Quran and the Sunnah instructs us not to probe in the essence, the actual being, the divine being, the one who is the creator. We, we must never probe there because our minds have not been created with the ability to enter or, or to, to be able to cope with that kind of knowledge. But we can get to know Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through His sifat, His attributes, and through the names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We are encouraged to do that. We must do that. But we must stay away from asking, what is Allah? Uh, how does Allah look? Those kind of questions, it doesn't matter how much time we spend, we'll never ever be able to, no matter how salih we are, it doesn't matter. You'll never be able to get an image 
of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in your mind, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is other than anything we can ever imagine. Bidusali, shukran and wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Shukran Muhammad Fasih. I suppose I went a bit deep and a bit technical on some of these issues, but I encourage the listeners to, to ponder on these issues because if we understand how space never applies to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it can go a long way to strengthening our iman. Shukran. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. We will, in a future program, be dealing with the expansion of the universe. From myself, Muhammad Fasih Peterson, shukran for tuning in this evening. And uh, wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. La hawla wa la illa <laughs>